Hey and welcome to Open for Business, it's Anthony here and today we have the dulcet tones of Robert Gerrish on the show. Yes, Australia's own Robert Gerrish, the founder of Flying Solo, Australia's largest community of solopreneurs, the author of the book Flying Solo and his new book The One Minute Commute. We're going to talk to Robert about all things solopreneurship, his backstory moving from England to Australia and starting his own business. We're going to talk marketing and so much more. There's heaps in today's show. If you run your own business, if you are a solopreneur, if you're looking to start your own thing, this is the show that you need to listen to and also grab yourself a copy of his new book, The One Minute Commute. All right, let's get into the show. So, Robert Gerrish, thanks very much for joining us on the show. It's my total pleasure. Thank you for inviting me on. Now, I can't lie, it's, uh, it's quite a buzz to have the, uh, the dulcet tones of Robert Gerrish coming through the headphones after uh, <laughs> listening to, to many of your uh, podcasts and uh, listening to you online. So, um, yeah, it's great to have you on the show. Well, that's great. Thank you very much. So, for anybody who, uh, who may not have heard of you, there, could we quickly go back to your sort of backstory? Sure. Um, and give, them, give people a bit of because especially when, um, or it does for me anyway, when, uh, whenever I hear the name Robert Gerrish, I immediately think of, uh, of flying solo and, and solopreneurship. Yep. So, before, uh, before all that started, can you give us a bit of, a, a bit of a what looked like? Yeah. yeah. Okay, I will. Well, look, it's um, not a million miles away from the life that you're currently living, I guess, in mm. that... Um, most of my, um, I mean, I'll forget my very early career because that was the usual shambles of working out what the hell I wanted to do. Of course. Um, but um, it, where I sort of ended up, probably very early 80s, was I was I was entered the world of marketing. I'd come up through, well, I, I will tell you, I'd come up through the motor industry. So my father was in the motor business. I worked with him for a bit, but that didn't work so good. You know, sometimes father and son <laughs> isn't the best working <laughs> relationship. But so I, I left his business and went into other businesses, still in the motor industry. I ended up running sort of uh, promotions for Alfa Romeo, the Italian car maker oh, yes. in the UK. So I was at their head office and at, you know, a relatively young age, I was running around dealerships and organizing shows and exhibitions. And, and that was my first kind of taste of marketing. Mm. And whilst I was doing that, um, we we worked with a, um, a very nice little sort of marketing agency in London, this is. And, um, and whenever I kind of go to events with them, they always seem to be having a lot more fun than I was. Um, <laughs> you know, so I was the client, they were the agency, but they all seemed to be driving better cars and living a better life. I thought, yeah. I need, you know, I need to, I need to jump ship here. So through very good fortune, I actually ended up joining that very agency. They decided they sort of um, preferred me to the client, which was funny. Okay. But so I, so I left the client and went to work for the agency. So a small, small company, probably 10 or 15 people at that point in London. And I worked with them then for the next, pretty well the next decade. This was in the time when, when you got a job and you kind of stuck with it for a you know, lot mm. more. I yes, think, yes. So I worked my way through that business, really enjoyed it. Lovely guys that run the business. And I ended up um, becoming a partner in that business. And then we actually sold the business to Saatchi and Saatchi Advertising in the very late 80s, 1989, in fact. Saatchi, um, at that point, were the world's biggest agency. This before WPP had sort of um, come onto the scene. Anyway, they bought us, and um, and that was great. And so I, that was my first sort of exit of a business, albeit I was an incredibly minority shareholder. 
but so I worked then with uh, under the ownership of Saatchi's for about another year, but I really didn't enjoy it. They all, you know, it um, went from being a small business where we were really in control of what we were doing and doing really exciting work for great people. It, we were suddenly part of a bigger machine. And frankly, I didn't like that bigger machine very much. Mm, so yeah. um, I, I left and uh, I wasn't quite sure what to do next, but I was at... Uh, how old would I have been then? I guess I was in my uh, probably just about 30 or something, yeah, very early 30s. But I had this sort of arrogance of youth and um, and just decided that anything I could do, you know, I'd succeed at because I was good at marketing. That was that was how arrogant I was. So <laughs> I um, I did a few sort of crazy things. I, I um, opened an art gallery and uh, because I thought the world of art just needed better marketing. Of I course. got that wrong. Of um, <laughs> uh, I managed a uh, pop band and that didn't go so well either. But I had a lot of fun, you know, so I messed around for a little while. And, and then at the end of that, that no, I, I agree. And I was at the stage, you know, an uncomplicated life, footloose mm -hmm. and fancy. You know, I was able to do those things and it was it was really good learning. But um, then some mates of mine who ran a big um, design company in London, um, well, they're big now anyway, uh, they, they kind of saw me messing around and said, look, you know, stop messing about, come and, come and help us, come and work with us for a bit. So I did, and I worked with them on the launch of a, uh, a big telco in the UK. Um, and I did that, it should have been a six-week contract, it turned into 14 months, and it was real sort of ball-busting work, it was really hard. By the end of it, um, I was pretty burnt out and i just i kind of had enough I, you know i thought well i've had a little look at my own business and and that looked fun even though the first one didn't really work yeah. and then i went back into this contract job and it really burnt me out so i thought there must be a better way so i decided at that point still being carefree to um put a backpack on and explore the world basically i thought when else am i going to have a chance you know now's a good time so my sister was living in Africa. I had good friends living down here in Sydney. So I took a year out to travel and to, you know, to find myself as much as anything. Yeah. And I was basically kind of trying to find a new way of living and working. And I just didn't know what it was. So I thought, well, as long as I don't know, there's no point just sitting here thinking about it. I might as well go and do some discovery, you know, personal and life. So I did. And I, to cut a long story short, I ended up in Australia. I immediately fell in love with Australia. Um, I also then quite rapidly fell in love with, with my now wife, Jane. She's been my wife for 24 years now or something. And um, thank you very much. And um, and started life here. And uh, and I was really pleased to be here. I start, Initially, I worked with a big design company down here. Um, because I, I thought it would be sensible to have some income whilst I worked out exactly what I was going to do. So I worked mm -hmm. with them for a little while, but I was all the time trying to figure out what I really want to do. And by this time, Jane had um, fallen pregnant, and we both, you know, we were in our uh, early 40s, so we'd, you know, we'd left the whole baby thing pretty late. But we decided if we're going to do this, we're going to start a family. We can't do, we don't want to do this alongside really big jobs. Mm, you know, so yes. Jane, Jane Jane moved out of her business. She was in a fashion designer and she moved out of that. And I left the design company. And basically, I set up my own business just helping small creative companies kind of grow their business. And um, sorry, you're about no, to say no, something. No, no, no. Um, 
the the baby first thing is um, is a topic that resonates quite well with me too in um, in a similar situation with with us and, and my mm. wife and and we've uh, definitely looked for that flexibility I suppose with uh, with having two young children now and um, you know not having to put them into daycare you know every day of the week and that sort of thing so yep. I think um, yeah we definitely definitely resonate on that level as well yeah and and I think that's good to hear and and I you know I do think that in Australia I I honestly believe that we're in so many ways um, leading the way in in what I think of as lifestyle business creation but mm. when I talk about lifestyle business I must find I really must find a better term for it because usually when you talk about lifestyle business it conjures up the image of you know somebody lying in a hammock with yes, a laptop. That's right. <laughs> um, and, you know, not really doing very much work at all. That's not what I think of as lifestyle business. What mm. I think of as lifestyle business is choosing what you do, when you do it, who you do it for. That kind of pretty Completely well is what agree. it is. Yeah. Yep. You know, and one that, that allows you to live and work as you choose. It mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily give you huge wealth unless that's what you want to go after. Mm. But it allows you to be who you are and, say, do the work that you want. So that that was what I started to do. Love it. I started to build that without really knowing where it was going. Um, but then another, you know, face often plays a, a lovely hand. I was at a dinner party one night and I met this lovely guy who's a psychologist. You know, when there's a dinner party, you know, you never want to sit next to the psychologist because they're going to start going into your head. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but this guy was a really nice guy, still a good friend to this day. And I was talking to him about the work I was doing, you know, helping little businesses. And he said, what do you enjoy the most about it? And I said, well, really what I enjoy the most is actually the bit when the kind of the work is done and we leave and we go to the pub or we go to a cafe, you know, myself and the business owner. And I said, that's when I enjoy it. When, when we're just talking about, you know, more meaningful things like where does work fit into life? How can you enjoy it more? And what, you know, what, what, what's, uh, what kind of meaning is it that I'm looking for and what are my values? Or That's the bit I like. And he said, he said, well, maybe you should think, have a look at this new thing called coaching. This was in 1999. And I didn't know what he was talking about. And um, uh, he, he gave me a couple of names of organizations in the US at that point that started this thing called coaching. So it was all brand new. So I very quickly, uh, that was just, you know, that, that sort of um, situation that happens when you meet someone at just the right time. I met him at just the right time. And uh, I went home and um, the internet was in its fairly early stages. So I yes. sort of waited. I put goo, uh, I put uh, coaching into Alta Vista and then went and made a cup of tea whilst my dial-up modem was trying to find it. <laughs> and... Um, and then, and lo and behold, there was a, a U.S. company that, uh, within a couple of weeks, was actually starting to do its first ever training outside of the U.S. in Australia, and there were a couple of places. So I, I just booked a place on that training course. And again, to cut a long story short, what I learned over the course of a, of a period with that was a different way of delivering what I did. So rather than rolling my sleeves up and doing all the work, which consultants do, mm-hmm. I was able to, through questioning and challenging, um, enable the business owner, the individual to find solutions themselves. And then I'd hold them accountable and support them. And that, you know, it's kind of what coaching is. So I did that and transitioned and I was loving it. So I was working from a small office. In fact, it was a shed in our garden because my son had kicked me out of my home office because he, he <laughs> was, you know, wanted a bit, had a bigger cot. Yes, so yes. Um, I 
I was working in the shed, and then another lovely twist of fate, ABC Four Corners, you know, that documentary show, yes. was um, doing a sh- researching a show on new work practices, and they'd heard of coaching, and they got in touch with um, a sort of a coach, a couple of coaches that by then were working in Australia, and said, look, we want to interview a coach, and we want to interview a couple of clients, and my name was put forward. And delightfully, it happened. So they interviewed me, came into my little shed for a couple of days, and they interviewed two or three of my clients that were, who were sort of small creative businesses. And to cut a long story short again, basically, it aired on ABC Four Corners. I had a fantastic segment on there. And my little, quiet, cruisy business went <laughs> bonkers. Exploded overnight. It exploded overnight. And not just with national work, but international work as well. I just got incredibly busy and you know being you know a, a startup business kind of make hay while the sun shines i thought well if there's clients there i'd better work with them so mm. i was you know having had a nicely balanced business that was in steady growth i suddenly had overnight literally a stupidly busy business and i was completely out of balance so but i did it you know because i, I thought i just gotta i just gotta do this of course so yeah. i did it, did it for a couple of months realized I was getting completely burnt out. Jane said, you know, what's going on here? This is meant to be a lifestyle business and you're working all day and all night and all weekend. So I pulled all the plug sockets out the wall. I sat down with all the files of people that I'd spoken to. And by then I'd probably spoken to 50 or 60 people all over the place. And I put all the people I loved working with in one pile and all the people that I didn't get quite so much excitement and joy from in the other pile. And lo and behold, all the people without you know down to a woman and a man all the people that i really worked well with and felt that i was really contributing to were solo business people people mm-hmm. starting their own solo enterprise yeah so being like you a marketing person i thought hello hello i'm onto something here you know here's a niche yes so there were new things called domain names that you could register at that time so wow. <laughs> I, I i registered flying solo com today you and i that from that day on that was my niche um i approached uh, the daily telegraph and and said to them hey look this is what i'm doing i'm writing about solo businesses could i write a column for you this you know and they said yes so i was writing a column in the paper and then two weeks after that a publisher alan and unwin got in touch with me and said hey we like what you're writing about would you write a book for us and i went sure what should we call it and they said what about flying solo and again being a marketer i thought yep that's mm-hmm. a good idea mm-hmm. so you know that's that's how it started and then of course it just really erupted after that and i realized i was really onto something here because so many other people were then getting in touch with me and we started a website or a portal as it was called then um, with myself and Sam, Samantha, who had helped me write my book, write the first book. And we started publishing other people's content. And, and that's where it all grew. So it grew into this community, which it is today with 120,000 Australian solo business members and forums and articles and webinars and podcasts. And, you know, the rest is history-ish. The rest is history. Yeah. And look, it is. It, it's such a well-known brand today. And... Um, <clears throat> I love the uh, the sort of simplicity in that story of how it all sort of just snowballed. But um, behind that, I know that there's uh, there's quite a lot of hard work that's gone into it, um, and a little bit of uh, you know right place, right time as well. I think um, 
and yeah, it's uh, it's a fantastic story. Thank you. And look, and I think the main thing is what it's what it's had, and what I believe is so important for any of us running our business is it. I always had a vision. I always, and whilst that vision shifted and meanders and changes and evolves, I always had it. I always kind of knew where I wanted to be. Yes. And that's the thing. And I think that's one of the hardest things to maintain when you start getting busy or when people say, hey, could you come and do this? And then, oh, whilst you're doing that, could you do this? You know, if we can have the courage to stay true to what we believe in and what we really want to do, um, then it, you know, it it can work. Yes, hundred percent. And the other the other important point too, just off the back of what I said then about it all mm. sort of snowballing and falling into place, it's, it is important to remember that you know there, there is years and years of hard work uh, behind that because you know mm. we we hear the stories and we see the success and we go, gee, it'd be nice to have that, but uh, it, it takes it takes time, it takes patience, it takes hard work. So it's uh, it's definitely a good point to bring up as well. Yeah, it's it's funny you say that because I, I wrote an article probably now, oh, I don't know, it must be eight years ago or something. I wrote an article on Flying Solo which said, um, what if it takes 10 years? Mm. And that was the title That was the title of the article. Yeah. And I was writing because there, at that point, this was when, you know, the startup phenomena was really getting a lot of traction. Yes. Um, and there was this kind of belief going around the place, I, be, I think, that, that you could kind of do it really quickly and that if you didn't do it really quickly, you, <clears throat> really quickly it was never going to happen. Yes. Yeah. And I, I've never believed that. I've never fallen for that. Um, so I wrote this article about what, what if it took 10 years? And, you know, the premise of the article was what if what you were doing now would take 10 years to get to the point that you want it to be at? Would you, would you keep doing it? Exactly. You know? And yeah. And I do think that's a worthwhile question for anybody to think about. Would you keep doing it for 10 years? If not, you know, just maybe you're not in the right thing. You're not doing the right thing. But when I wrote that article, I got so much abuse. I got so many people going, what, 10 years? (laughs) You know, what a loser. Why would anything take 10 years? But, you know, so many businesses do. You look at businesses that appear to be overnight successes and then you scratch the surface a bit and have a look and you'll find that there's been people working away at that for a long time. Exactly. And and we all know that, you know, the the hard statistic of, you know, 80 or 90% of businesses failing in the first five years. So, you know, you've you've really sort of got to get to that five-year mark before you can say, okay, we've got a pretty solid foundation here to work off. So, um, yeah, that's, yeah, I agree. Look, I, I do, I, I have to take you to task a bit on that, on those stats because I'm, and I'm not saying that um, there's not a high percentage of businesses mm. that don't, don't work. Yes. <clears throat> but I think the, the, the main reason that businesses don't work um, is not because they've necessarily been a huge sort of financial failure. Often when people think failure, they imagine, you know, people being thrown out of their house and, of you know, yeah, yeah. All, all that, but it, that's not the way it is. And no. the, but what does happen in a lot of businesses is it all becomes too hard. And they yes. think, you know, I'd be better to get a job or mm-hmm. I'll, fl- I'll flip this business into this business. So yep. I don't think that so many small businesses fail, but I think some of them don't go where people think they're going to go. So they move. But True. in many ways, to call a business a failure is it's a little bit like if you move house, it's not because your last house is a failure. No. It's, it's more because you can see something different and better and, you know, better suited exactly. to you. In the new house. So, yeah. I, I love I, that. I love that. Yeah, that's <laughs> how, I, how I think of failure is. There's, and most businesses get 
you know, they stop because either, as I say, the, the person's found it too hard or because it's actually a bit better to go over this way, not that way and move mm. around. So anyway. Mm. No, I like that. I like that. Thanks for calling us out on that one. Okay. What, um, so what does a week uh, look like in your life uh, currently, Robert? Hmm. Interesting question. Well, mm. I guess one thing that I haven't mentioned is that uh, at the end of last year, I sold Flying Solo. I exited it. So... I'm yes. no longer involved day to day in that business, um, and that was all. Again, I'd love to say it was designed. Uh, you know, the exit was designed from day one, but it wasn't. But I always kind of had an idea that um, this would be a business that that at, t- at some point I'd move away from or back away from. Yes. And so over the years, you know, we did. We designed. So it ended up with myself and two partners. We didn't ever actually employ anybody. We just worked with other solo freelancers. Mm-hmm. Um, but we got to, the, to a stage, you know, where we would, would we designed ourselves kind of out of the business. So I wasn't, I was less and less kind of front of house. And I always wanted that because I say at one, some point I thought, okay, I'm either going to hand this over to Sam and Peter to run or um, sell to somebody else and be sold. So I still do some work for them. I still write for them. I still do their podcasts and I still get involved in workshops and presentations and things, um, which is lovely. I'm very fortunate to be able to do that. But what my week these days, so I work, uh, I work Monday to Friday, fairly standard. Um, I work two days uh, in an office, a co-working space in the city in Sydney. So I go in there two days a week. Uh, I don't have to go into co-working space, but I like the shift. I like the change. I like the message it sends to me that something's a bit different. I like to just double check that people are still wearing the same clothes as I am, <laughs> so, you know, still doing the same thing. So I just find it, it's a good way. I'm pretty antisocial when I go into my co-working space, but I'm in there nonetheless, you know, exactly. so I enjoy that. So I go in there a couple of days. Um, and the way that my weeks kind of runs is I do a fair bit of writing. So I write for Flying Solo. I write for a couple of other publications. Um, I'm doing some contract writing for a, <clears throat> a council at the moment and a, in fact a coaching publication as well okay so i do a fair bit of writing mm-hmm. um i do three podcasts of my own so i have a little sort of studio set up at home so i do all those from home so i do flying solos podcast fortnightly i do my own mellow brick road which is a sort of cr- creatives podcast yes, yes and i do a podcast called the business of bookkeeping for a bookkeeping franchise so all the work to do with that I do from my home in those sort of three days, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Perfect. Um, I also then do a reasonable amount of uh, sort of one-on-one coaching with people. Um, And I do that when I'm from my home office as well. So usually over Zoom or Skype or phone or whatever. Um, And then occasionally I'll have people come in for sort of a couple of hours sort of workshops to talk about their business, which I do in my office in the city. Um, Mm -hmm. And... That's kind of how my week goes. So it's, to be honest, it's fairly cruisy. I'm quite, you know, I, I, there's a phrase that I love that I'm often repeating, if only so that I hear it myself, is that um, I have balance within every day. Not Balance isn't something that I do at weekends. Balance is what I do every day. So yes. I go for a long walk every day. So I'm out of my office for usually an hour, hour and a half, two hours walking. <clears throat> um and in that time, I'm often thinking about business things as well. Um, I s- take sort of fairly nice breaks during the day. So, I, you know, I work at a, at a nice pace. I have a lovely sort of rhythm that I'm really happy with. I'm focused when I'm working, 
but I don't mind stepping away from my from my desk or having a coffee catch up with someone or just you know reading I do a lot of reading so I have little blocks where I'm doing that um yeah, and that's about my week I tend lately because of my latest book um I've been darting around the place doing quite a lot of talks as well so I've done I don't know three or four in the last month around Australia um that'll probably quieten off a bit now as we get towards the end of the year um and then there's a few more revving up again for next year so yeah it's a nice nice mix so again just um keeping everything very lifestyle based and uh, and making it work for you yeah, totally. I mean, my you know, when I say lifestyle, I want to be the same person at the end of the day that I am at the beginning. Yes. <clears throat> you know, by which I mean, yeah, I want. I don't. You know, we all probably know people who, when they get home from work, you know, they kind of push their kids and family to one side and say, "Don't talk to me until I've downed three beers mm. and two bottles." Mm. You know, I've never wanted to be that person. So, you know, my son, he's he's eighteen now, but I want him to see someone who's clearly enjoying his work <clears throat> and he does see that in fact i don't think he that he thinks i do any work to be honest <laughs> um which is okay because i'm used you know i'm pretty casually dressed all the time and i'm pretty chirpy all day long so uh, and sometimes i worry that this is what he thinks the world of work is whereas you know, it it can be this, but sometimes you have to get your head down and get a few runs on the ball before you can really, you know, design your own path. So anyway, we'll see how that True. pans out True. as it gets older. No, I'm sure. I'm sure that um, from you know everything he's uh, he's witnessed from you, he'll have a, a deeper understanding of uh, of what work could really be. Um, and um, yeah, good good luck to him. Mm. We'll see. Yes. It's a lovely, lovely little segue there uh, into the next question I had, which was uh, all about your new book. Um, so mm. now we are—you've recently published the One Minute Commute. Um, yep. Can you tell us a bit about uh, you know the reason for writing that and, and you know who the book is best suited to. Yeah, sure. So look, this is, um, and I have to. So the title, the One Minute Commute, is kind of suggests that the commute might be from you know your dining room to your third bedroom. Mm -hmm. So that's the idea. It's aimed at people really that are running a very small business, um, whether it's a home based business or not. Um, and this is, it's pretty well. I'm holding a copy of, of the book in front of me now, just, just to remind myself. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for this. Too, you know, well. this is. It's a pleasure. This is this is everything I know about running your own small business. So who is this for? It's for anybody who's either thinking about starting a small business that really is going to suit their life mm -hmm. um, or someone who's in one that maybe isn't enjoying it quite as much as they thought they might. Um, and that's a fairly common scenario. There's a lot of people that start a business from home with all the right intentions but get a few, you know, a few years down the track, and it's not a lot of fun. Well, I would suggest to you that, that you know, to, to those people, this is some. This is why I wrote this book. Yes. Um, because there's a lot we can do to rejuvenate and refresh, <clears throat> and you know, kind of recalibrate our business. So, I in the book, I look at, you know, I know what the sort of hot buttons of a small business are because 12 years of flying solo, you know, you get to meet. A lot of people and we ran a lot of research so i look quite heavily at at positioning and visioning you know making sure you know where you're going and how you're going to get there uh i do a fair bit in there on marketing so some of the basics of marketing like getting your 
positioning right, knowing, getting clear on who actually cares about what it is that you're selling or creating or producing or whatever. Yes. Um, understanding how to get the attention of those people, um, talking about pricing, how to price yourself, your services, and get the most from what you do. There's a whole big section on productivity and sort of managing your time and your energy and doing your best work. And then I also look a fair bit into kind of what's next, what's around the corner. You know, maybe it's growing, maybe it's delegating, maybe it's selling, maybe it's exiting. There's a whole lot of stuff. And I've really written it in a way that I hope people, you know, the, kind of the nicest thing I can ever see with my book is one where people have written all over it or stuck post-it notes in it or torn yes. pages out. Yes. You know, that's what I hope. <laughs> well this, used. This is. Yes. Yeah. Actually, do you know, I, I must tell you one thing. I had, had a uh, a reader got in touch with me last week and um, and said that he'd been reading reading through my book and he said the way he uses it, which I thought was really creative. He's a Mac user, yes. and um, you know, as as I am, and oh, on the right side, of course. Yes, okay, yes. exactly. So basically, whenever the wheel of death appears on his Mac, yes. Right, he does a lot of work with sound and audio. So when that wheel of death, the spinning wheel, whenever the spinning wheel comes up, mm -hmm. he picks up my book and reads it. What incredible! And then idea. and he isn't it? And then when the spinning wheel stops spinning, he puts it down again. And I thought that's cracking. That's a great way to read a business book. Love is that. you know is keep it by, by your computer. That's it. And when the wheel of death, you can't do anything when the wheel of death is there, other than just get really frustrated. You can hit as many buttons as you want. Basically, you just have to wait, that's or exactly else things right. can go really pear shaped. So that's a that's a great time to read. I was, re I thought that was that's genius. I should have put that on the cover if I thought about. It's exactly what I was about to suggest. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. No, and look, I've I've felt exactly the same way reading through the book because it it really is set out in a way that um, it, it sort of it, for me not only does it step out, you know, each chapter has a different topic, um, you know, that that is essential when you are looking to start your own business. So not only do you have lots of practical information on, on how to get things moving, how to get things off the ground, it, it also, you know, it takes the edge off, I feel, because not only is it an easy book to read through, it, it kind of, you know, it, oftentimes we might look at business and, you know, it, it is hard in some respects, but yeah, mm. It can also be as hard as we want to make it. So I just felt yep. like it's such an easy reading book and it really just does guide you through the process and there's plenty of flow and it's almost relaxing to read. Um, you know, oh, that's good. I, I, I like my business books and, and marketing yeah. books and those, and it really is. You sort of pick it up and it's a it's a great read. There's no there's no stress. There's no... Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say there, but it's no, just but that, a very well, relaxing book. Yeah. That's, that's very, very kind of you to say that. And somebody, again, did say to me that it's a bit like sitting down and having a cup of... This was someone who knew me. Said it's a bit like sitting down and having a cup of coffee with me because... Perfect. It's very conversational, yes. and you know, and that's yes. that's who I am. That's how I work. And uh, in fact, interestingly, I've just finished uh, with Pam McMillan, the publisher, doing the audio book, which should come out uh, early in 2019. So that would be good. Yeah. So I've read the whole damn thing. So, um, <laughs> and it was funny though because you know I went into so I wrote this book. Uh, gosh, when well, I guess I would have written most of it uh, last in 2017, early 2017. Okay. And we're now sort of at the end of 2018. So, yes. you know, and I haven't sat there and reread it a hundred times, but it, it, at all. So when I was there in the studio and I had to suddenly read my book, mm. um, 
uh, it was interesting because it was I, it was so easy to read, and I was reading it thinking, God, this is actually quite good, you know, which is a bit of a joke when it's your own writing. True, true. But um, you know, it is it's interesting, and, and what was funny is I could I could literally you know turn a page and read it and record it on audio because there's a whole studio set up there, yeah. and you know you don't want to stuff up or else you'll you'll annoy people and yes. waste your time. But I didn't stuff up because it was really easy to read, and I thought, right. well, well done me, you know. Look, and I think that also goes back to um, you know any idiot can make something complicated. You know, it's yes. when somebody can make something simple and, yep. and easy, like you have with this book. It shows mm. that you know you really do understand you know the topic that you're talking about and the, the information that you're providing. You know, it should be nice and simple. Um, so yes, yeah. congratulations. Look, and thank you. And look, you know, you're a marketing person as well, and you know, I spent a large t- part of my career, as I've said, in marketing, and. I think, you know, between you and me, I think, I think marketing's pretty easy too. Mm, it's, you it know, is, it, is. The th- it is easy, but and yet, but some people find it difficult and that's, you know, good job they do or else we'd never earn any money. But, you know, but basically marketing is straightforward. But what we tend to do as marketers sometimes is we may, you know, we build a lot of complexity around it. Yes. But in truth, most marketing principles are straightforward. Yes. It's so uh, I feel the same way with a small business. Is that actually there are things that are a bit annoying, and there are things that are difficult, and there are you know bit, there's the business equivalent of the wheel of death that pops up on most days. But fundamentally, it's about doing what you love, doing it well being clear on who it is that's going to enjoy what you do, and bringing those two things together. You know, you, do, you know, you do that well, then you, you kind of got yourself a business. Exactly. Perfect. Perfect. Touching on marketing, um, mm. you know, what, what are your thoughts for, you know, somebody who, who is a solopreneur or somebody that's just starting out, may have big ambitions? How, in your eyes, how important is marketing and, you know, what types of mediums, um, I know it's a, a hard question to answer, but what types of mediums do you think people should be, you know, looking towards these days? Is it, is it all Facebook video, or you know, should podcasts and, and, and blogs be considered heavily? What are your thoughts? Okay, well, that's that's a great question. A couple of good questions in there. Well, look, the first thing is, um, uh, the first thing I think with marketing is that we have to be really clear who we're actually marketing to. Now, that might sound really basic, but you know, there's some interesting research done by um, CB Insights in New York last year where they looked at, I think it was 50 startup businesses that had bombed, that failed. But these weren't just any old startups. These are startups that each had over a million dollars worth of investment. Wow. So, in other words, individuals had stuck a million dollars you know, into each of these businesses. So somebody somewhere thought it was a great idea, obviously. Yeah. But these are all businesses that have failed. And by far the main reason for, well, 46% of these businesses failed because nobody wanted what they were selling. Yes. Now, you just think of that. That is bonkers. How can that be? Mm. So 46% of businesses that had got a million dollars worth of investment didn't work because nobody wanted the product or service that they were offering. <clears throat> so the very basic, the starting point for marketing has to be getting really clear on who gives a damn about what you're doing. Yes. And if you haven't got an answer to that, then stop right there. Mm-hmm. You know? and. Mm-hmm. These days, I think too many businesses power ahead without really doing enough research, without talking to enough people. And you can't, 
rely on your friends or your family because they'll all tell you your idea is terrific. Of course. <laughs> you know? So what you have to do is some good old school, old fashioned research. That's now, okay, right. some of that isn't so old school. It takes nothing to put a couple of Google ads or Facebook ads up with different propositions and then monitor closely what people are interested in and how they're traversing and what questions they're asking. You know, there's so many ways we can do it. If you're selling products, we'll stick some of them initially on eBay, you know, shop yes. horror. Find out what people are saying about it. Look at how what questions they ask you. Mm. You know, look at what other people are selling and and what profits, or you know, have, get an idea of what they might be making from it. Yeah. You know, we need to, uh, in terms of marketing, the starting point is getting really clear on who gives a damn about what you're doing and that's the first point absolutely and if you haven't got that right then you know stop spending money on fancy websites and business cards and logos and offices and equipment and just stop it yes Yes. Wait until you found out does somebody do enough people care about what you're doing to be able to make a business from it. That's where you really need to start. So when you talk about platforms, um, I you see, I, I tend not to, I, I don't, as you, you'll have seen in the book, I don't talk a whole lot about platforms because what I see and what worries me is I see people jumping all over new things like Instagram. God, I've got to be on Instagram. Yes. Um, so, you know, what I've observed in the last three or four years, Instagram, is, as far as I'm concerned, has just gone down the gurgler. I have no interest in it anymore. Um, you know, I'm sure some businesses do hugely well with it. The right sort of businesses that are highly visual. Yes. Um, then I think it's great. But, you know, I've seen enough non-visual businesses sticking some words on top of an image and thinking that that's okay for instagram it isn't yeah i just don't i don't think it is so i again what i say is don't worry yet about the platform think more about who the audience are who are the people if you're really clear on the people then the next stage is okay where do these people live where do they spend their time how can i get to meet them you know that's that's the key thing there was a fantastic um podcast i listened to recently which was the guy who started the um zumba you know the sort of uh, uh, yes. fits thing yes yep and he had a really good phrase i can't remember it precisely but basically what he said was if something is really good people will talk about it mm -hmm. and you know that's mm -hmm. a really i found that a really sort of leveling kind of comment is and it's true if people are really good they will talk about it you know i was listening exactly. to another um, writer recently talking about um, Trump and saying that, you know, it's not Twitter that's made Trump famous. Everyone talks about Twitter, Twitter, Twitter. Yeah. You no, know, Twitter's where it, no, Trump was made famous by television. Yes. He was on the TV. Yes. And people talked about him and people saw him. That's how he got known. Yes. So too often, I think people jump onto a really busy platform like Facebook or Instagram or Twitter and think that's where they need to be because everybody else is there. Mm. But, uh, you know, there's a, another lovely phrase, which is um, don't count the people you reach, reach the people who count. Love and like, yeah, it's just a lovely quote, you know, and it's by one of these sort of grandfathers of advertising, uh, whose name is totally slipped out of my mind, but it'll come to me in a second. Um, and it's, you know, it's a phrase that was written in 1964. Don't count the people you reach, reach the people who count. And 
that's what I carry with me. Whenever I talk to a business that's struggling a bit and they're going, I'm like, oh, should I post three times a day? Should I post two times a day? Should I do this or that? It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Who is it you're trying to get in front of? You know, maybe you're better off speaking in going into a networking group and speaking to five people once a week than you are broadcasting to 2,000 people who aren't paying any attention to you. Yes. You know, it's... Yes. um. So I'm not sure if I've I've tried to actually slightly sidestep. Definitely, <laughs> no. I, I love that. I love that because yeah. basically what you're trying to say is um, too many people are you know chasing the next shiny object, and mm. um, <clears throat> oftentimes we can spend put too much focus on that rather than just getting down to the the bare roots of things and, and finding the people who are who are going to want our product or service. Yeah, there's look. There's a have I got time just to show you a very uh, show a very quick little stories? Of right? course, of course. Yeah. So look, I, I, when I go into the city, I do a mixture of walking and catching the bus. So I walk for a bit and then I get hop on a bus. And this bus goes through a particular station in Sydney where most mornings um, on this crowded bus in the bumper-to-bumper traffic, we drive past a railway station. And outside that railway station is a guy who's older than me, he's probably late 60s, Chinese guy with a long, wispy beard and long, wispy hair. And he stands outside the station with a dog on a rope and uh, a, a sort of cardboard signboard hung around his neck. And all it says is, smile and have a good day. Or he changes the message. Yes, he's basically got yes. a smiley face, and there's a positive message. And he's holding his dog with one hand, and he's waving and smiling at everybody with the other hand. Right? He's yes. not selling anything, but he no. could be. Yes. You know, every time I go past, I'm thinking, I should sponsor that guy. But, anyway. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but my point of telling you this is, there's a guy who for probably half an hour, 40 minutes maybe, every morning, stands in a very busy spot and waves at people. Now, pretty well, I've mentioned that guy to a couple of, in a couple of presentations I've done in, uh, around different areas of Sydney. I live in the east. I was at a, uh, an, a presentation in the south of Sydney um, about two weeks ago and about a month before I was in one north of Sydney. And I mentioned this. And on both occasions, there were people in the room that knew exactly the guy I was talking about. Yeah, well. So my point here is this is a guy who literally just stands there and waves at people on the bus or in traffic. Yes. And he, I would suggest to you, is connecting more through doing that than a lot of small businesses who are all over Twitter and Facebook and Instagram ever do. I agree. You know, they just, they know who this guy is. They know what he stands for. They know what feels important to him. They recognize him in their lineup. You know, that's... He's provided them some value. Yeah, he's connecting. He's Mm. connected and people resonate with him and they remember him. I would rather be that guy than I would someone who's who's just pouring stuff out on social media that nobody gives a damn about. Such a refreshing take on it, Robert. Thank you very (laughs) much for that. Look, before we before we wrap up, um, mm. can you let everybody know where they can find out more about you and also the uh, the new book? Yeah, sure. Well, look, they can find out about me at robertgerrish.com. So that's G-E-R-R-I-S-H, robertgerrish.com. Um, that's where they'll also find my book, The One Minute Commute, or um, it's in most good bookshops, airports, and online at Amazon and all those other places. Uh, it's called The One Minute Commute. Um, and if anybody has remotely enjoyed hearing me, please hop onto the website, ask me any questions you like. Um, I'll very happily, um, you know, follow up and talk with people. And um, yeah, so that's where I am. Perfect. Robert, thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate it. My total pleasure. Thank you. 
So that's it for another episode. Thank you so much for listening. I really do appreciate it. If you love the show, the greatest form of feedback you can give is to leave a review. It helps the show grow. It helps more people find it. And I would really appreciate that. Head over to anthonygmurphy.com where you'll find all the show notes and links for today's episode. And if you just want to stay up to date with me and see what I'm up to, head over to Instagram, anthonygmurphy, and say day. And I will talk to you in the next episode.